0: Amen. Thank you, Eileen. Appreciate that. Well, good morning. Good morning. I guess you noticed the, the the new driveway out there, the new refurbished driveway that got sealed this week. So it's good to go for another year, we hope. And if we don't get some, some rain, the pastures are going to look like the driveway. Flat, black, burn up. <clears throat> so... I'm sure there's some hungry cows and goats out there about this time. Nothing to eat for them. Um, well, this morning is Communion Sunday, so we will look at another psalm. And as you know by now, the psalms are God's, or basically the saints of the Old Testament's worship, worship book. They're hymnal. These are the songs that shaped their lives. These are the songs that they poured their hearts out before the Lord in order to worship Him. These are the songs that shaped their lives. This morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 56. And Psalm 56, if you will, is basically a day in the life of David. Just a a short season of his life before he became king. And like a day in any one of our lives, there's a little bit of everything in this psalm. What we're going to find, I see four things that we'll look at in this psalm that we'll learn from. About, and that is training, trials, trust, and thanksgiving. I'll read it in its entirety very, very shortly. But the verse that really gripped me as I began to pray about what psalm to do next. The verse that really stood out very, very powerfully was a portion of verse 9. And in this psalm, David says these words. This I know, God Is for me. This I know. God. Is for me. Do you know that God. Is for you. This morning. You would be surprised. At how many. Times Christians. We as Christians. Question this truth. Throughout our walk. Because when trials come. When hardships come. When things turn against us. When things that grieve our hearts, come our way, when times of torment come, we often find ourselves questioning, God, are you still there? Are you for me? What's going on with this? Are you for me or not? And it's a very important thing to know because how we answer that question, how we think about the answer to that question, are you for me or not, really determines the decisions we make throughout the day. It determines, in many cases, the direction that our lives will take. And it will definitely determine whether or not we experience the peace and comfort that only God can offer in our hearts as we struggle with the things that come in and out of our lives. But our goal is to know this truth. This truth is in God's word and it is for God's people. So, For for us today, it is to know this truth that that God is. Is for us. That's what God wants us to know. That's God's goal for us to know that He loves us and He's for us. Now, Satan's goal is for us to not know this. Satan's goal is for us to be tempted to question God's goodness. But in spite of all that we'll read about, and you know David's life, in spite of all that he is going to experience just in this little portion of his life, He kind of scans the landscape or the battlefield of the past and the present. And and he considers all that he's gone through. He considers the gains, the losses. He considers the sufferings and the joy. And in this song, he pens these words because he comes to this conclusion. God is for me. With absolute assurance, he knows this. And this is how we are to live every day with the assurance that we know that God is for. So, what's going on in our lives? What kind of things is God allowing in the door or through the window in our lives? What's consuming our thoughts today? Is God for you? Well, that's what this psalm says God is for you, He is for you individually, God is for this church. That means he's for the leaders, he's for the worship team, he's for the sound crew, he's for the teachers, he's for all those that come and minister in the name of Christ. God is for you. He is for this little body. God is not against us one little bit. No matter what we might think our lives are turning into. And this is just something we have to know. It's a basic truth in Christianity. He is for you and only for you. So whether you feel at your highest point this morning or at your lowest point, you might feel strong or weak. You might have walked in here feeling feeling full of faith or your stomach, your inside are all torn up because you're full of anxiety and worry. But I think what God has for us this morning is this truth for us to know to walk out of here with the absolute assurance that God is for us. So let's read Psalm 56, and there's 13 verses. This says to the choir master, according to the dove on far off Terebinth, a mitcom of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, and attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they inquire my calls. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps, as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know. God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. What an awesome set of words. Well, we'll look at the training first. The psalm, again, is, it's, it's another season in David's life. Before he, came, before he became king. And if you know anything about David's life, you will know that he spent much of it on the run. Even though he was anointed to be king of Israel. He spent much of his life being chased after like an animal hunted down. And so while he is having to deal with that kind of life. In the midst of it, whereas most of us may put God on hold, David is writing worship songs to the Lord while his life is being pursued. He had to run from King Saul because King Saul was mad with jealousy over David's anointed successes and accomplishments. And so he went from place to place, from cave to cave, from location to location, any kind of. Little place or a little tucked away nook that he could find just to give his heart rest and find some solace and not feel like he's constantly having to listen for every little sound could that be his enemy every little rustle in in the in the weeds or in the brush could that be a spear or air is that arrows I hear in the sky are those troops sounding far off so it was always going for from place to place just trying to find some rest and that's natural for us it's natural for our hearts to want to find these places where we can retreat where we can let out a big sigh and not feel like we're always on our guard and he would go from cave to cave to try to find these places but we want to take a break right we want to take a break from the responsibilities in our lives we want to take a break from the conflicts From the burdens, from the threats of which there are no short supply. Maybe for us it's a vacation. Maybe it's a favorite spot on the beach. Maybe that brings our heart rest or maybe a spot high up in the mountains. Maybe it's curling up with a good book and that allows us to to escape all of the pressures that we're surrounded with. Maybe it's escaping with a movie. One of my favorite things to do. Or just a nap. For some people, a simple nap is a one works wonders. Maybe it's your favorite easy chair. Maybe it's fellowshipping with a, a close friend. Maybe it's a favorite Bible study. Or just getting alone with God and having a prayer time. Whatever it is, we always are seeking a place of rest. That's how our hearts are created. And that's what David's doing. Reminds me of the dove that Noah sent out during the flood from the ark. And every bird can fly, but they can't all stay up there forever. Sooner or later, they have to land and find that rest. And that's how our hearts are. We can't stay in this conflict forever. We have to, have to find a place that we can go to, that we can land so we're not constantly flapping our wings. And that's what David's trying to find. Of course, Augustine, church father, would say, the only place that we will ever find that for our hearts is in God of which I agree. So for whatever reason, as David is, well, he's fleeing, he's not safe in Israel, so he chooses to flee to Gath. It's a, it's a town, it's a city of the Philistines. And he can't find peace and solace in Israel, so maybe he concludes, maybe I can find it over here in this other town of Gath. Now keep in mind, Gath is where Goliath was from. And it had been, I don't know, approximately 15-ish years since David slew that giant Goliath. Maybe he wanted to go and meet with the king and try to form some kind of truce so he could live in peace. Maybe he went and tried to go incognito and laid low so nobody would recognize him, so he could just live his life in peace. But whatever the case, it didn't work because eventually he was found out. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10. David rose and he fled that day from Saul and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. So here is David. He went there for peace. He didn't find it. Because there were plenty there that recognized him as their enemy. And so though he went thinking, maybe I can get a break. Now he finds himself once again surrounded by a city of his enemies. And what do you do if you're in a a situation and you are literally, literally surrounded by very, very suspicious people. People that want your life. So David took these words in verse 12 to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath, now that he had been found out. So what's he going to do? How do you get out of this one? He changed his behavior before them, and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? What are you thinking? And we might think as tough and and pugnacious as David is, that he would have given an inspiring speech and he would have said something to the effect of, now that I've been found out, I'm going to die with my dignity. I'm either going to get out of here alive or I'm going to die with my dignity. Kind of like when he, what he said when he was facing the giant. I have been delivered. God delivered me from the paw of the lion. He delivered me from the paw of the bear. And he'll deliver me from the hands of the Philistines. But he gave no such speech on this day. What he decided to do was fake insanity. And so that's what he did. I mean, he went to full effect. And so he starts drooling, spitting, slobbering, and scratching and calling gates and doors. I mean, he really, really went to full scale. And it was effective. This man that had this great reputation of being a military warrior and leader... Was so effective in his drama skills that he had that city and the king believing enough that he was insane to where he could actually escape. Maybe he spittled all the way to the edge of town and then flew, flew into the bushes or something, but he was gone. Interesting thing is he could not have been more sound of mind because it was during this very time that he wrote this psalm as well as Psalm 34. As we will see shortly, David is very, very fearful, but he is also trusting the Lord. But what this really is, and I say it's a a day in David's life, but really what it is, it's a day of training in David's life. David is in God's training camp. David has been anointed to be king. And David was not just thrust from his father's house, Jesse's house, right into the throne where Saul was usurped. David was placed in years and years of training to be the man of God that, that God desired him to be. You might even say that all these times when he was on the, the run... Now he had his times of success, success, where he was the hero of Israel where, when he slew Goliath. But now, no longer, Saul's after him. And all of these days, all these trials and tribulations are what God is using to forge him, just like we learned at the Geyser Tree. He uses these times and these days to craft his people, to teach them the lessons, to, to hone them. To put him on the block and pound and heat him up in the anvil with the hammer. He puts heat and then cool, heat and then cool. And all of this is David being trained by his God to be the kind of father he's going to need to be, to, to be the kind of soldier that he needs to be, to be the friend that he needs to be, to be the king that he needs to be so that he can do the works of God, which God prepared in advance for him to do. God didn't throw him in there green. He tested him. He tried him. And so through these tribulations and trials, David is learning about God. He's learning how to pray. He's learning how much God can be counted on. He's learning about the deliverances of the Lord. Can What, what kind of situations, just how good is God. What kind of situations can he get me out of? Because he needs to know these things as God's leader. And we find the same theme throughout Scripture. There's this teaching throughout Scripture that emerges that in essence says often the very things that we deplore, the very things that are the most pesky The very things that perhaps we even hate and despise in our lives that are going on are the very things that God is using us to fashion us, form us, craft us into what he desires us to be, into what he needs us to be in order to serve him. Now, think about it. What are the things that we just would soon do without in our lives that, think about all the annoyances or all the chores. You know, for some it might be work. How about that homework? Homework. I remember years and years of homework. I hated it. I saw no purpose. I saw no good in it. It just robbed me of having fun, using my mind for other things. How about the, the days of breakdowns? Maybe your computer's out, your software's out, your lawnmower's out, your car's out. Your harbor board breaks down. <laughs> things that drive us crazy all the time. No intercept no internet. A pesky neighbor that won't move away no matter what you do. High taxes, pay cuts, all of these things that just that, that have the potential just to annoy us to death, so to speak. We we feel like they're robbing us of the very thing we need to find peace and really to move on with our lives. And yet those are the very things. Look at any life of the saints, any of them, and you will see these very things that we face day in and day out, that we hate, that we mumble about, that we complain about. And you will see that those are the very things that God uses to fashion us, to craft us, because we are not where we need to be. And he's always working in us for the next ministry, for the next way to serve him. Because we are placed on this globe to exalt God, to glorify God. So at this time, David is still about under 30, most scholars believe, just under 30. So maybe about 15 years or so since he was anointed king. You think about his life. Samuel comes, bypasses all his bigger, burlier brothers, and he anoints little David as king. And almost ever since then, he has been on the run, hunted like an animal. How's that for the royal treatment? You might think, man, my life is set now. I got the kingly oil on my head. God's favor is on me. What could that possibly look like? Life is going to be wonderful from here on out. It was not wonderful from here on out from some perspectives. That's what he got. That's his royal treatment. The royal treatment was that I'm going to forge your heart, David, into what will bring you ultimately the most satisfaction. And a heart that will be after mine. A heart that will learn to love me through all things. How many times do we hear, how many books are out there? How many times we read books or hear pastors that entice people in the kingdom with words such as, Just give your life to Christ and it will be all good from there. All your worries are gone. All your troubles are gone. Just give your life to Christ. That's not the case. God has work for us to do, and he's not going to throw us into it green. He trains us from one degree of glory to another because God is for us in our training. We also see these trials, and I've talked already about it, won't spend much time, but I want to at least get an idea, a legitimate idea of just exactly what David was up against. What did his day look like? What did he have to face Just to go to bed at night or to wake up in the morning. How bad were his enemies? Verses 1 and 2. They trample him. They attack him constantly. They oppress him all day long. They injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me. I mean, he's up against people that are using their brain power to bring him down. That's what they do. For sport. For work. Whatever. They, They have seen that as their job. To, to trick him, to entice him, to twist his words, to make it sound like he lied. Always following him every step, stirring up strife, lurking, watching his every step, waiting for his life. I mean, how would you like to live the kind of life? And perhaps some of you feel like this. Perhaps you have this kind of enemy. I hope not. Somebody who just always seems to be out, out to get you. Maybe they're after your job. And so they're just looking at you all the time. They're misinterpreting your actions to the boss, to other employees. They're trying to turn everybody they can against you for whatever reason. Nothing you say is safe. Nothing you do is safe. Because they just hate you. They want you out. Deception's fine as long as it meets their calls, serves their calls. So they're just turning everything. It's malice. Doug Wilson says... Whenever the wolf is talking with the lamb, anything the lamb says will be used as a compelling reason to have him for lunch. The conversation always seems to take that turn. These malicious men study David in order to take him down. I mean, how do you possibly live under those conditions? I mean, just ever felt like a lot of times we will come to church and feel like judgment all these people are having all these thoughts against me. This person thinks this way about me. This person thinks this about me. And we're just condemned and we're, we're overcome and we're surrounded by insults or even what we think might be true. I mean, how can you possibly live like that? Well, here's how David did it. Trust. Not in man. Man. Trust in God. Verse three, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. Do you praise God's word? That sounds kind of awkward. He's so grateful for God and God's word in God. I trust. Sound familiar? Look at our money. God, we trust. Trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And then verse 10, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? See, this is what a life of faith, this is what trust can do for us. Faith turns the tables on Satan, if you will. Turns the tables on evil, if you will. Yeah, we can entertain, we can take circumstances Real life circumstances, and we can take them down the road of evil and think only bad thoughts. Nothing can come out of this. My life is miserable. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. God does, is not for me. We can do that. That's an option. Not trust him. Or the other option is to trust him. And turn the tables and look and say, yeah, I'm I'm surrounded by my enemies. I'm surrounded by people's evil thoughts that are shooting at me like darts. But really, what are they going to do to me when I have the kind of God that I have in my life? He trusts. Trusting God. Trusting God gives us the courage we need to Keep our sanity, really, in some cases. And, and courage that David has, courage isn't, is not uh, acting without fear in our lives. It's not being absolutely fearless. Courage is doing the right thing in the midst of fear. Yes, I'm scared. Yes, I'm surrounded by my enemies, but I'm going to do the right thing regardless. That's what courage is. <coughs> And that's what David does. So rather than letting his fears control him, he is, he is trained to the point, being chased so many times, facing so many dismal days. He is trained to develop a reflex of trust. a reflex of trust, a response of his circumstances of trust. That's what has been built into him like the Apostle Paul in Romans five. We also glory in our sufferings. Here's another believer saying I we, I we glory in all the things that we could commiserate with each, with each other today. All the things we could complain about and they're very rear, rear rear. They're very real. They're dear. They truly do hurt. And yet here is a Saint saying, actually, those are the very things I I glory in, I delight in. They excite me. Now, why would he say that? He says, because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. You, You want steadfastness? Do we lack hope? Plant sufferings. Because when we plant sufferings and we go to God with trust and faith, He grows incredible things out of our untrusting heart. He grows incredible strengths out of weak hearts that look to the flesh and to the flesh only. It's just an incredible biblical principle and goodness of the character of God. Have we developed a reflex of trust i know some of us have developed through our lives a reflex of worry first thing we do any news we hear anything that happens in our lives man i got 3 or 4 days worry time out of that and we walk around we're anxious we don't know joy anymore cuz all we do is worry at at the trials worry at the news that we hear worry about the way things are headed doesn't mean that they're not real. doesn't mean that they're not there. The Bible never tells us, like other religions, escape reality or deny it. The Bible says, oh no, it's real. Your pain's real. Christ felt when when Christ was incarnated and came to this earth. You think he knew what it was going to feel like to have spikes driven through his wrists and feet? Yeah, he knew that. It was real. But he did it anyway. Faith enables us to overcome these things, to look at life through the eyes of God. The question isn't, well, are you going to face trials and tribulations? We are promised that. The question is, do we trust the God who has overcome the world? Who has overcome these? That has put them in their place, has them In their perfect place. So David trusts. Even more practically, what does it mean? What does it mean to trust for David? Like what? Okay, he's being pursued. He even had to pretend he was insane to escape one situation. He he has to make a lot of decisions every day. Because things are coming at him so quickly. So practically speaking, what does it look like For David to really trust God. What is going on in his mind? What is he thinking to enable him to trust God? Here's a few things. Verse 8. He knows. He's thinking about this. God, you have kept count of my tossings. You have kept count of my every way. You know my every step. And so, whereas he realizes that his enemies are watching every move he takes, every step he makes so that they can take him down, he knows that God has his eye on him as well, and he is watching every step, counting it. He knows exactly how many steps it took David to get from Gath to the cave of Adullam. He knows exactly how many steps he took in all of his wanderings, All the time that he was chased. He knows that God's always watching him. He's never alone. He knows the sunny days. He knows the rainy days that he faced. He knows when David takes a left, when he takes a right, when he goes north, when he goes south. He knows every, absolutely every move. God knows physics, time, distance, speed. He's got it all figured out. And David is thinking about this. He's knowing this and it's enabling him to know, to to trust God. Do you see how knowing God like this can overcome or puts in a new perspective? And I would say proper perspective, the things that we face every day. We can choose to believe God doesn't have an eye out for us and doesn't know what we're experiencing And isn't in control of it. David chooses this. You know why God counts these things? Why he knows our every move? Because we count to God. God counts our steps because we count to God. That is how much he cares for us. You think a Fitbit is amazing? Count how many hours you were restless at night. How many steps did you get your steps in today? God knows all this before there was Fitbit. Because he cares. So, because we count to God, nothing escapes his attention. And that's what David knows, and that's what he's thinking about when spears are flying by him and when people are filled with evil plots it's a very practical thing here's something else that he thinks in verse 8 god you put my tears in your bottle are they not in your book does god know every tear you ever cried as long as you have existed i mean in a bottle in a book can you say that about anybody in here Who do you know the most? Who do you love the most in your entire life? Who is your just best, closest friend? Do you know how many tears they cried in their life? And David knows God in such a way that he realizes not a single blurry eye will escape your notice. They're in your book of accountings. I mean, God has this book of accountings for all those that trust in him. All those that, that know him as their savior. You're his child, and he knows everything about you, and he's got this book. You know, we start tracing our photo, our photo albums baby's first, first tooth, baby's first step, baby's first temper tantrum, baby, all these firsts. God, ha- he has all this about us. Absolutely attentive, caring. Every tear, infant, toddler, childhood, every adult tear, every teenage tear, every heartbroken tear. In his book of accountings of man, this is how God is revealing himself to us in Holy Scripture. This is the King we serve. It's the God that we came here to worship today. How can we not feel cared for with a God like this? And Jesus will tell us again, I think, in Matthew 10, when he makes that statement, God knows every hair on your head. If you don't have any in your head, he knows every hair, every follicle, wherever else it is. And and the idea of Jesus saying that isn't so that we marvel over God's mathematical abilities. Wow, that's a lot. How must have a calculator But the idea is that that's how much he cares for us. That's how knowing, that's what He wants us to marvel at. He gets it. He understands even our tears. And for some of us, that may be a lot. Not just a bottle, a barrel. Because some of you are, are, feel things very deeply. It's not unusual for me at all as, as you hear the glories of God preached to see tears drip down your face. Or during our times of worship when you're singing songs to see tears drip down your face. God knows them all. What else is on David's mind as he is trusting in the Lord? Well, the verse that drew me to this psalm in the first place. This I know. God is for me. And I will tell you that there will be times, if not daily. Things will be brought into your life that will question that. What is this? Is this going to bring me down? This is going to pull me away. What are you doing, God? How could you allow this person to say this to me? How could you allow this in my life? And yet, God is for me. That's what all the saints are called to know. This is what they sung in the Old Testament. Songs filled with these theological truths that God is for me. We know that music shapes our lives. It's worship music is intended to shape our lives, to form us, to, to, to draw our thinking to the truths of God. And so this is what they were shaped by. Let's let this psalm school us in how to pray. Let this psalm school us in how to believe and trust in God. Shape us. It's sound. Theology. Sing songs that God is for you. Because from the beginning, Satan has planted those doubts. The book of Genesis from the beginning. Did God really say about the forbidden fruit? Can't you see that God is really holding back on you? I mean, look at all the... Rest- Have you read His Word? Look at all the restrictions He is putting on your life. He is, he is robbing you of all the joys that your heart desires. All the places you want to go. All the things you want to go where you're pretty convinced it's going to bear good fruit. It'll be very pleasurable. You know, are you sure God has your best interest at stake? And look at all the things, the bad things that he's entered has allowed into your life. Are you sure that God is for you? Satan will twist what God says and things that we should know. Because he knows that when it gets right down to it, are we going to come here and praise a God that we think secretly think is against us? Are we going to come here and pour our hearts out, give our all to a God that we're not really sure is for us? Don't you have relationships, don't we all? And and it's really a wise thing to do to guard our hearts, to not just give them out to anybody because they might be trampled on. And yet the commandment, the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart. The soul is saying, God saying, look, I am so trustworthy I am so loving that I am the only one in whom you can give your whole heart, and I'm not going to step on it, I'm not going to hurt it, I'm not going to trample it. The only one out there. Now everybody else. Now Jesus wasn't saying he did not entrust himself to man. And God is saying to us, Do I have your whole heart? Do you trust me for everything in your life? Because if we don't, we will hold back David gets it he gets it and he's praising God for it the Apostle Paul got it too in Romans 8 31 very very familiar verse if God be for me who can be against me that's that's what he is as he thinks about his Christian life his walk all the places that God has taken him he draws the same conclusion had he ever faced pain I mean, look, look at his list of sufferings. scorched, shipwrecked, starved, bitten by poisonous critters, persecuted, stoned, left to die. And he is saying, this little believer, with all this passion for God in his heart, he's saying, hey, what else you got? In essence, if God be for me, You really can't be against me because all this stuff is from God. And that's in the context of that's Romans 831 in the context of 832. The next thing he says is because we might doubt God's goodness. We might think, well, God, you're holding back on me. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And Paul realizes that we might be tempted to go along in life thinking, well, I should have had this and God didn't give it to me. And really, I I need this and God should know I need this and this. And he's saying, look, God gave what was dearest to him, what was the most precious to him. He gave you his son and you're going to say he's holding back on you. It doesn't compute. He's a provider. We have to know that every day God cares for us graciously, abundantly, richly. That's the kind of life the saints of faith live. This I know. God is for me. Charles Spurgeon says he was for us before the worlds were made. He was for us or he would not have given us his well-beloved son. He was for us when he smote the only begotten and laid the full weight of his wrath upon him. He was for us when we were ruined in the fall. He loved us notwithstanding all. He was for us when we were rebels against him, and with a high hand were bidding him defiance. He was for us, or he would not have brought us humbly to seek his face. We could have how could we have remained unharmed to this very hour if he was not for us? He is for us with the, all the infinity, all of his being, all of his omnipotence, all of his infallibility, all of his wisdom, arrayed in all of his divine attributes. He is for us eternally and immutably. And because he is for us, the voice of prayer will always ensure his help. There is no uncertain hope, but a well grounded assurance of, This I know. O oh, believer, how happy are you with the King of Kings on your side? How safe with such a protector, how sure thy cause pleaded by such an advocate, if God be for thee, who can be against thee? So we see we see the training, we see the trials, we see the trust, and how does David end this psalm? But with thanksgiving. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. What a beautiful saying, the light of life, as opposed to darkness and death. Choices, options that we make. So God is graciously keeping him. He's keeping account of him. And David is counting on that. Trusting him. And he realized that he is so blessed and he has such confidence in God in counting his steps that he believes that he made this vow out of gratitude. And he knows God's going to bring my steps right back to the temple. Seems like I'm going to never make it out of here. He's going to step me right back into the temple and I'm going to there be able to give him this offering that I have vowed to him. That's confidence. That's faith. It's a free will offering. It's a thank offering. God didn't even ask him to make it. He, he asked nothing of David here. This is not a payment for deliverance. It's, it's sheer exuberance of gratitude for who God is. Nobody's passing the offering plate. Nobody's asking for money. David decides to give it. To give something sacrificial of his own possession. That's how grateful he is. I know that we have our set times for giving to God. I know that some of us have certain percentages and amounts that we have agreed to to give to God. And we're very faithful and disciplined to do that. But we just have to know that there are times when we can give to God out of order. You don't have to pass the plate. There are times when we can be so grateful and feel so blessed to God where we just write God a check here, God. It's out of the gratitude of my heart. I I want to give this. I have to give this to you. It's just an offering. Free will. And what does the scripture say? God loves a cheerful giver. You wonder what God loves. Does God love for us to give? Now, I know giving can be abused, especially with certain televangelists and, and things, health and wealth. I know that. But that doesn't change the truth that God loves a cheerful giver. God loved David in that moment. For the sheer blessedness and delight that it brings to our hearts. You've been so good to me, God. I know I put my tie check in the plate. I just got to give you more. There's no law, there's no rule against that. It's gratitude. Have you ever done it? I mean, I know there's times where we say, God, I'm just so good and, I'll, and I'll, I'm filled with praise and I thank him. But have we ever put it in the form of some kind of sacrifice or offering to God? Not just the sacrifice of our lips. That's how excited David is over the God that he serves and he takes great joy. Just the thought that he can even give to God that he even has anything to give to God. Training, trials, trust and thanksgiving. I don't know where you were when you walked into the sanctuary this morning. I don't know if you were up. I don't know if you were down, sideways. I don't know what you were filled with. I don't know if you're filled with joy. or You came in here and you're filled with sorrows and you're filled with grief. I don't know what we're allowing into our heads this day and age and how it's affecting us. But I know what God wants us to walk out of here with this morning. And that is the sound theology and the immutable truth that this I know, God is for you. Praise be to God. Now let's worship him in song and at the Lord's table.